Welcome to the Retail Focus Podcast, a weekly collection of news, interviews, and information from the world of retail. We welcome you to this edition of the Retail Focus Podcast. I'm Trent Kling for Leighton doing the work behind the scenes. Coming up on this week's episode of the show, we'll be joined by Thad Price. He is the CEO of Talru. Thad has over two decades of experience in the retail talent acquisition space and was previously actually a VP at job.com. That will be joining us to discuss a general overview of the current retail hiring landscape, certain things that are now important to retail employees or more important to retail employees than they were five years ago, and how retailers can balance expectations between flexible scheduling and schedule certainty. Additionally, in news, we'll be discussing a recent earnings report from a specialty grocer, and in our Looking Ahead segment, we'll be looking at the HBA, specialty retail sector, or more importantly, the beauty retail sector. A quick reminder that you can like us or rate us if you enjoy the show on any podcast listening platform. Those ratings certainly help others to find us, so if you enjoy the interviews, if you enjoy the news updates every week, those ratings do help out. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Retail Podcast. Leighton just uploaded a picture of Kroger headquarters in downtown Cincinnati. It was staying right across the street from both the headquarters and Kroger's over the Rhine location this past week. Well, let's get started with our new segment as Natural Grocers bucks the recent trend of grocers seeing slacking sales in late 2021. And in fact, they weren't the only grocery store chain to release earnings this week. Ingalls Markets also did so, a favorite of the show, and they actually saw a sales increase of 16.9% year over year. Natural Grocers wasn't quite that high, but they did see success on the sales front. Now, these earnings were for their fiscal first quarter of 2022, ending December 31st, 2021, and they were released earlier this week. As with other grocers out there, they were competing against strong numbers late in calendar year 2020. They had 12.7% positive comps in Q1 2021 versus Q1 of 2020. And like other grocers in the space, think Sprouts, Fresh Time, and so forth, They've continued to expand during the course of the pandemic, albeit slightly. They now have stores located in 20 states throughout the Mountain West and the Midwest. And I think expansion is certainly important for the likes of these specialty retailers because larger companies, a lot of them, including Kroger, including the targets of the world, put off expansion plans in an effort to double down on digital. National grocers didn't really do that, and the approach at least seems to be paying off to a limited extent as they spread their overall store footprint. Now, sales for the chain rose 4.6% in the quarter as we get to the numbers, bumped up to 277.3 million. Volume-wise, this may seem like a drop in the bucket for some larger chains, but keep in mind, if you haven't been to a natural grocery store, their 162 stores throughout the U.S. do have smaller footprints, more akin to an Aldi, even smaller than a Fresh Time or a Sprouts, depending on market, natural grocery stores usually range from 10,000 to 15,000 square feet. Of their top line increase, which came in at 12.2 million 
2.1 million came from new store sales during the course of the year. Most of it came from comp increases. They track comps by daily average sales to kind of mitigate differences in the number of days per quarter. For Q1 of 2022, they reported a comp increase of 3.8%. Again, this is a definite positive given where other grocery retailers have reported coming in during the holiday season, negative impacts from supply chain woes, and of course going against those harsh comps in 2020. It wasn't just an impact from pricing increases though, because we see these pricing increases being handed off to the consumer as a result of inflation, particularly protein inflation, but natural grocers actually saw a 3% increase in transaction count, basket size only up about 0.8%. So it's really people going to the store a little bit more often, helping to drive those comps. On a two-year stack, that put natural grocers at comp gains of 16.5%, similar to most specialty grocery stores. They noted that Thanksgiving was strong in 2021 as a whole, However, their supplements category was a major driver of comps as well and was called out specifically by leadership on the call. Supplements for natural grocers posted their third consecutive quarter of category comp increases greater than the average natural grocers category, basically supplements outperforming most other categories in the stores. And when you look at why this is, leadership said, they felt as though it could be attributed to people refocusing on health with the Delta and Omicron waves of COVID. They don't expect this surge in interest in supplements to continue forever, but they do at least see it continuing into the spring. And I feel like this is something to note for other specialty retailers as well. Vitamin World, GNC, and so forth, even retail pharmacies may see an increase in supplement purchases during the first really four or five months of 2022. The bottom line for natural grocers saw the benefit from these revenue increases that I just talked about. Earnings per share came in at 39 cents, which was an increase of over 140% from last year. This was credited to the leveraging of store expenses somewhat. As you see sales increases on a per store basis take place, Costs on a per-store basis remaining somewhat steady year-to-year. Year. It makes sense that you'd see some leveraging there, and so additional profit based on your revenue you're pulling in per store. Also, they credited a more what they called normalized operating environment this year versus last, which we kind of took to mean fewer COVID-related costs, and this was certainly hinted at by CFO Todd Dissinger on the call itself. Administrative expenses also remained flat year to year, and so they also deleveraged slightly. So flat as a dollar amount year to year for admin expenses. And interestingly enough, as you look at their balance sheet, inventory also ticked up slightly, about 1% on a per store basis sequentially. So during the course of the quarter, they increased inventory 1%, meaning they somehow grew inventory during a time when it was supposed to be difficult for grocers to do so. Not all, though, is rosy when it comes to inventory. They mentioned specifically on the earnings call that out-of-stocks ticked up in January. So this may be a mitigating factor for future 2022 quarters, in particular Q2 of 2022. In aggregate, they expect year-long comps, by the way, to be flat to positive 2%. So if it's going to affect comps, 
those inventory levels. It's certainly not going to have that much of an effect. And they did say supply chain they see is becoming a little bit more normalized, maybe not back to pre-pandemic normal, but a little bit more normalized over the next couple of months. Now, I wanted to circle back to talking about that store growth we mentioned in the beginning. Store count growth did slow slightly versus, say, 2018 and 2019 during the course of the pandemic, but they still managed to increase store count a little bit over the past two calendar years. In calendar year 2020, they grew square footage by 3.2%. This was down to growth of 1.3% in 2021, but 2021 did see them put some openings into the planning and construction stages. For 2022 now, they expect four to six new stores and three to four relocations or remodels. No closures are expected. Now, we personally on the show see the runway as closer to six to 10 new stores in 2022. When you look at their real estate structure, they already have leases signed or property acquired for six new stores. And that's what we mean by them laying the groundwork in 2021 for expansion in 2022. Of course, construction delays might put a wrench in things, but realistically, the company could easily support a greater number of openings over the next calendar year. And in fact, they were asked on the call about the new openings and maybe supply chain putting in some potential kinks there in terms of the plans. But leadership said they don't anticipate delays due to product shortages Rather, you're looking at issues getting equipment and fixtures into the stores. Think refrigeration here. Think certainly the front end equipment as well. They're working on that, working to smooth things over with suppliers via contracts. From a financial perspective, though, to kind of put their expansion or planned expansion into perspective, they expect 28 to $35 million in CapEx in 2022. In 2021, that number was just... 5.3 million. So whether you're talking about remodels, relocations, new stores, they are primed for real estate growth in the coming year. Maybe not as much as a retailer like, say, Big Lots that we heard about a couple of weeks ago planning much larger expansion over the next few years. But still, they feel like this approach will get them the moderate expansion that will support sustained growth at their company. Now, Let's talk about their other initiatives. Co-president Kemper Isley was on the call particularly complimentary of the newer NPower loyalty program. And when I say newer, it's not new as in within the last year, but newer than most store loyalty programs are. They've been able to increase membership for the program by 20% year over year. And it now sits at close to 1.6 million shoppers, which given the fact that they have about 162 stores Nationwide puts the number of shoppers per store involved with a membership program at about 10,000, which is pretty substantial. And interestingly, they said their NPower members only spend about $25 per visit, but the difference between them and maybe less frequent shoppers is that the NPower members do make far more frequent visits than non members. Non members, you see them really only making visits about once a month and spending a little over $50 per visit. Private label penetration, also something talked about on the call. This has also been an initiative that Natural Grocers has really tried to ramp up over the past couple of years. It's been a big focus of theirs. Private label penetration did inch up sequentially 
from 7.1% to 7.5% during the quarter. Still, though, 7.5%, pretty low in terms of private label penetration for most specialty grocery stores, most natural grocery stores. They do have plans, though, to continue to launch new products and lines in an effort to bolster their private label offerings. They'd really like to see this penetration number get into the double digits. And there were positive messages overall regarding supply chain. I mentioned it earlier. They feel as though it'll be smoothed out. They already see signs that the supply chain is beginning to iron itself out this month here in February. And they expect that by March, again, not back to pre-pandemic normal, but at least a bit more normal than what it was in January. So a brief look there at a specialty grocer that is expanding in the same vein as Sprouts. You know, it's funny because Amazon gave earnings this week. And really since Amazon bought Whole Foods, we haven't had a big opportunity to look at the kind of granular data regarding Whole Foods and Whole Foods' performance. So until that happens, we can look at retailers like Natural Grocers and Sprouts, which are publicly traded and which do give us a wealth of that information regarding the specialty grocery industry, which we're seeing very much expand and not just with Natural Grocers and Sprouts with those location counts, but we're seeing a number of different concepts expand. Just this year, we've mentioned concepts like Fresh Time, like Earth Fair, really planning expansion or having recently expanded. So certainly an area of grocery that is worth keeping an eye on here over the next couple of years. Natural Grocers, while I wouldn't say they've been absolutely killing it of late, they have been producing positive results and they have some positive internal mechanisms that should drive that bottom line, like, as I mentioned, the private label penetration and increased private label offerings. Well, that'll do it for our news segment. Coming up in just a moment, we'll be joined by Thad Price, the CEO of Talru. We'll talk about the current retail hiring landscape, what potential retail employees are looking for in a potential employer, and how retailers can emerge victorious, so to speak, in the ongoing battle for talent. It's no surprise to anyone that topping retailers' lists of concerns in early 2022 is retail staffing, and managing talent, some say, has never been more difficult and complex, whether it comes to pay, whether it comes to onboarding, or training for continued development in a retail setting. Add to that the constant backdrop of safety during COVID-19 and the retail employment paradigm has certainly changed over the last few years. Joining us to provide a window into current challenges and areas of opportunity on this front for retailers is Thad Price, CEO at Talru. Thad has over two decades of experience in the retail talent acquisition space and we welcome you to the show. Great to be here, Trent. Thanks so much. First, just so our listeners kind of know the perspective that you bring to the table here, could you give us a little bit on the day-to-day scope of Talru's operations there? Absolutely. We help companies bring more of a consumer advertising approach to the idea of attracting talent. So there are a lot of cues that we can learn from marketing and sales and helping companies attract talent and ensure that they're actually able to hire the team members they need to be more successful and running their businesses. And I'm sure most of our listeners are probably pretty aware that the war for talent is currently going on in retail, as it's sometimes called. But I was wondering, as someone from the perspective that you have, 
Can you give our listeners a general overview of what you see right now from the current retail hiring landscape? Absolutely. It's hard out there. We're operating in a very tactical way. We need to fill positions. Companies need to fill roles. And we're asking a lot of our team members to do more than ever. And it's tough. And so the way to essentially compete is to be different and to think differently than maybe you have thought before on what it takes and what it means to attract talent to grow your business. So let's talk a little bit about some of those competition mechanisms. Obviously, pay and higher wages, they come to the forefront when it comes to obvious ways that we see retailers attempting to attract talent. But what are some other major motivating factors for today's workforce? So there is a transformation in the industry and around what's important for people and what's important for talent. And, you know, for years, it's it's always been wages. It's always been about, you know, what you actually pay, what the hourly rate age is. But there was a lot of factors. There's been a lot of factors that's actually influencing that. And the first is this reset that occurred around life balance that has occurred during the pandemic. And that reset has really focused second of what's important to talent and to workers, and that's flexibility. And flexibility is something that, you know, whether you're not providing that flexibility today, you need to be thinking about how in a new world, how you can provide that flexibility. And that's challenging a lot of businesses, especially in retail, because it traditionally hasn't been somewhat of a flexible environment. So I encourage a lot of our customers to really think about what flexibility means. And there's a reason for this. In the last probably five to six years, there's been a huge movement in more of the marketplace activity and the marketplace hiring. So companies like Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, Instacart, terrific services for consumers to actually provide you know, on-demand driving services. However, from a talent perspective, there's now a new option in a way that someone can work that provides them flexibility, that provides them the ability to turn on an app and to drive or to deliver, you know, whatever that may be. And so, you know, I think that there are absolutely workers that that's very appealing for, and there are workers that that's not quite appealing for. But I think we have to think about what the clear opportunity really is when you're looking to compete for talent. And what I mean by that is it's not just about wages. It's not just about flexibility. It's about mobility within the company. It's about how you can actually grow and how you can achieve some of your career aspirations and how that company can be essentially the foot in the door to grow and to take your career to the next level. So, you know, in summary, I would say wages have always been very important. Flexibility is a close second, closer than we've ever seen it before. And then of course, it's about where you can grow within a company and ensuring that from a brand perspective and from a marketing perspective, in connecting with talent, that you are a very clear and provide a, a lot of clarity for talent that this is a great place to work and that there is a way for you to move and build your career. We'll talk a little bit more about scheduling, about flexibility here in a second, but I did want to talk a little bit about that messaging too, because that part is so important. Obviously, you can post that you're hiring at X wage on the front of a store, but what are some other ways that stores can message to potential hirees about what type of work environment they'll experience if they go to work there, about scheduling flexibility, about maybe some of the other facets that current or future new hires might want to see. So I think first it's about you know, having a conversation with your current workforce. 
and understanding why they chose you because the pendulum has definitely swung in a different direction. And what I mean by that is job seekers can be picky. Job seekers can essentially select the employer more so now than ever because of the demand. And so first start with your workforce and have those conversations. What do you like about working here? Why did you select this opportunity? And you'll get some great insight into how you can theme and how you can use that in your job advertising campaigns to be more effective and to really think about, okay, well, who am I really competing with and how can I speak to talent in a different way? And how can I reach the talent that's right for my business that'll help me take my business to the next level? So it all starts with a conversation. And then from that conversation, learning what's important to your existing team and how you can leverage that in your talent attraction strategy. Now let's talk about the scheduling facet of things, because as you mentioned, flexibility now is very attractive to some on your workforce. One thing we heard a lot of before the pandemic was those on staff at a certain retailer would also like certainty in terms of schedules. So schedule certainty, having schedules published two, three weeks in advance. And it seems like on the outside looking in, they seem to be opposed concepts there. How can retailers balance employees' need for both flexibility and kind of knowing where they're scheduled to work and when they're scheduled to work ahead of time? I think a lot of it is based on what's important to the job seeker and to the candidate at that particular time. So at certain time, flexibility is really important. And in certain times, scheduling may be very important to workers and for talent that you're attracting. I think the right strategy is to ensure you're attracting talent from both sides of the coin, if that makes sense. And what I mean by that is folks that are looking for flexibility and folks that are looking for stability in the idea of scheduling and how to ensure that, you know, there's consistency in where I'm working and and how I'm working. So I think that, you know, the biggest key is to figure out how to leverage both talent pools through leveraging systems, technology that may provide that and ensure that you're speaking to each talent pool, especially now as companies are looking to fill roles in retail and it's important now more than ever. We talk about attracting certain talent pools. One of the ways in which retailers have long leveraged the ability to bring in different talent pools has been hiring events. How have hiring events changed since the pandemic began? And what hiring events proved to be most effective? Or perhaps more importantly, what are some of the best practices that you're seeing currently surrounding retail hiring events? Hiring events are a fantastic way in order to track scale and to drive candidates and essentially provide a more efficient opportunity for your hiring managers. I mean, if you think of this idea of having a hiring event and hiring 20 or 30 team members with one hiring event, that saves so much time in you know the ping pong that may happen with meetings and scheduling and interviews and all those things. So they are a fantastic scale play. What we have seen is that there's been a move to more of a virtual environment in hiring experiences, hiring fairs. And so that's been interesting. Companies actually navigating that. And we've seen companies use third-party technologies to be able to conduct virtual hiring events. We've seen companies using existing systems like Zoom, Teams. We've seen companies use Brazen and other virtual hiring event platforms indeed as well. So it's been interesting to see how companies have really focused on 
how to move and how to adapt, you know, based on this idea, you know, based on what we've been experiencing over the last few years. So it's a, it's a great opportunity. But from a best practice perspective, I think the big thing is getting buy-in with your team and ensuring you're setting it up for success. The worst feeling is to have everyone buy into organizing a hiring event and then expecting that people will just show up and without the right advertising, without the right platform, without the right connect to your audience that you're actually hosting this hiring event. And that's not the best strategy, especially if you are organizing schedules, if you're all focused on providing a successful hiring event, you have to think of it like marketing. You have to think of it as, okay, I need to advertise this hiring event. I need to invest in ways and I can actually get team members and candidates to, to this event. And so the first thing for you to do is I always share with customers to leverage their customer list. That's a great place to advertise. A hiring event. So, you know, if you have a customer list, if you have a newsletter, advertise the hiring event there, use your customers. Also, there's no secret that candidates like to work for brands and companies they love and they shop at. So ensure you're using your customer list is, is one thought in advertising your hiring event. The second is you need to think about this idea of what other opportunities may be out there. And I like to think of a way of taking a strategy from marketing and sales, and that is battle cards. When you're looking at when companies are using different products and services, sales and marketing team will battle cards to actually sell against other products and services in the industry. And so when you're thinking about this idea of recruiting, it is a sales process, right? It is the ability of closing talent, it is the ability of actually hiring a new team member. And so you should think about what other opportunities are out there, who are your competitors, and what value you bring to a candidate that maybe your competitors you know, don't bring. And how can you speak that candidate to ensure you'll be able to drive a team member? What we're talking about, really marketing methods for advertising fairs, advertising positions, that type of thing. You know, One thing that's really the backdrop of today's retail marketing in general is data-driven intelligence. And I know this is something that Tauru kind of specializes in. What are some newer forms of data-driven intelligence that are out there that are really helping retail recruiters not only to market effectively, but maybe find where the job seekers are at more effectively? Great question. I mean, I think as we've seen in traditional consumer advertising, we've moved into more of a data-driven approach to how we find audiences. And so as you think about advertising your business or advertising to candidates, it really is about the audience that you're looking to connect to. So if you go back probably, let's say 20 years in traditional consumer advertising, it was about advertising on a site. So the idea is, you know, I am, let's say Ford, and I want to advertise to people looking to buy a truck, a Ford F-150. And so Ford may say, I want to advertise on these sites. I want to advertise on AutoTrader or other sites that, you know, basically see that folks are looking for a car or a truck in this case. Now, what moved in consumer advertising is this idea of using audience data to be able to say, well, really what I want to do is I'm Ford and I want to advertise to people looking to buy a truck wherever they may be. And how can I target my advertisement to those audiences that could be in the market to buy a truck? And so this 
data-driven approach and trying to understand audiences and the intent is where consumer advertising moved a number of years ago. And so when we think about the idea of scaling job advertising and the idea of virtual hiring events as well, and advertising those events, the idea is for you to think about more of this approach of reaching the right audience with the intent of applying for jobs and the intent of actually looking for their next opportunity. I think that idea of, I don't necessarily have to post a job. I can actually engage and advertise the audiences and save a lot and automate a lot of work that traditionally has been a lot of data entry is a way that teams can run faster and they can scale a lot of their hiring initiatives. And so that's how I would think about this idea of automation. You know, how can we do less data entry, more screening and talking to candidates? And I think the best talent acquisition teams kind of hiring thought processes are about what can we automate so that we can spend more time with candidates and be more successful at the interaction with candidates and scale. And the companies that have been quick to move in that direction around automation and all the things to scale hiring have been able to be more effective. We'll transition in just a moment to once you have an employee onboarded, once you have an employee on staff. But I also wanted to talk about some of maybe the hidden and not so hidden costs of being unable to regularly fill the positions that might come open. So what are some of these costs to retailers that might not be obvious to the onlooker? So when you think about the cost to retail to hire, you can never put a price on the idea of not being able to hire a candidate. And the reason why I share that is because in our industry for many years, human resources has been seen as a cost center and not as a revenue You know, it costs money to hire more team members. It costs money to attract talent. And so the idea is there's a shift happening that it really is more of a revenue center. And if I hire the right team members, I can drive revenue. If I am able to recruit the right team members, I can grow revenue. I can create raving fans. I can, you know, ensure that my customer base is happy, continues to use my product or services. So, you know, I think that there's a shift happening of it's not about necessarily the cost. It's about the opportunity of leveraging the right talent to be able to grow your business in many different ways. So let's talk about what happens once you onboard that talent. And obviously, it's kind of like a customer is concerned. Oftentimes in retail, they'll say the least expensive customer is the one you've already got. Well, many times the least expensive hire for a position is the one that you already have. Obviously, companies very aware of the importance of retention, but also training has taken higher importance of late. What are some things that companies are doing well in terms of internal training programs to not only drive retention, but drive some of that internal movement up the ladder? So I think mentorship programs are something that we're seeing a lot of. This idea of how you can lean on a team member to help provide mentorship up the ranks. And that's something that I find really interesting because you find what it's like to move in a direction in the company. So I think that that's actually been a really interesting move in the last few years. And this is something that companies have had for a number of years, but I think that the idea of talent is harder to find than ever right now 
we need to connect to this idea of it's about the opportunity more so than a job. And again, when a candidate selects you and says, I want to work with your brand, it really is about what I can learn and will this employer and will this opportunity provide me the ability to learn? And when I mentioned earlier about more of the transactional employment that may be happening in some of the marketplaces, that's not necessarily in the cards for the marketplaces. You know, it's more of a transactional relationship. If you think the idea of gig working, it is a transactional relationship of delivery, or it's a transactional relationship of providing those services that are needed. And so you don't find that in more traditional employment environments. And so I always suggest to really think about, you know, what does that look like? What type of mentorship can be provided within the company? And how can you help the team members grow beyond that? Because if you think of this idea of the transactional way, it's something that's very different and you have to be different in today's competitive environment. I wanted to wrap up on this because this is sometimes something we hear from independent or smaller retailers about other fields as well. But all of these concepts that we've talked about today, uh, about you know targeting and effective hiring events and so on and so forth, how can independent or smaller retailers that maybe don't have the scale of a Walmart or Target or someone like that leverage some of these concepts, but just scale down for their own individual store, their own individual company's approach? There are terrific tools out there. One thing you can do is you can think about leveraging a platform like Evite and organize hiring events with your own customer list and organize the ability to invite your customer list to an Evite. And when you're leveraging that, you can have an open house and you can ensure that you're leveraging your existing customer base. I think that that is a low tech and easy way to embrace the idea of hiring events. And there are other products and services out there, but I would think of this idea of how can I leverage my existing customer base as much as possible, whether it's social, whether it's my newsletter, and then how can I create a scheduling opportunity for those prospects that want to come work for my business to show up and for me to have an opportunity to hire them. And if you think about it from that perspective of I'm looking to launch an event, then I think you can pull from a lot of experience in open houses or event planning to be successful at making that you know an amazing opportunity for your customers, an amazing opportunity for potential team members. Well, once again, Thad Price, CEO at Talru, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast and unwrapping some of these subjects for us. Thank you so much. Great to be here. As always, we may have a position in or against companies we discuss on the podcast. Do not invest in stocks solely on the input of the podcast hosts. Well, we thank Thad for joining us on the show. There was just so much to unpack during the course of that interview and really retail hiring, retail staffing, retail training. That's a topic we like to revisit once a quarter during the course of the year because it's such an important topic to retailers, not just brick and mortar retailers, but e-commerce retailers as well. Of course, brick and mortar retailers, that's where a lot of the focus is regarding employment, regarding kind of that dearth of potential employees that are out there. And that's actually something that the subject of our news segment, Natural Grocers, 
their leadership said during the call is that they are feeling the same pinch as everyone else, but they've been very fortunate in that they've been able to keep most of their stores pretty close to what they consider full staffing, although every retailer certainly has to be looking over their shoulder as they go into 2022 and the bulk of 2022 insofar as hiring and ensuring that they have the right talent in their stores is concerned, especially a retailer like Natural Grocers or a lot of the specialty retailers in the same vein because they do a lot of customer education programs. They have a number of different special programs that go on. So it's not just a matter of filling a front-end role or filling a stocking role or filling a, a picking role for digital orders. It really is a matter of making sure that you have the right associates there so that they can provide education as needed to the customer base. Well, in our Looking Ahead segment this week, I wanted to talk about beauty sales in retail. Reason being, a lot of data, including some referenced just last week by Christina Rogers on this show, notes that customers are planning on spending less on beauty in 2022. And it's really not so much a matter of spend per person decreasing, although that certainly would be the effect, but you have fewer people saying that they will spend money on beauty products or as much money on beauty products in the coming year, in part because they're either working from home, they're not going out as much, or the pandemic showed them that they really don't need to spend the money on the beauty products, at least according to that third-party data. However, we saw positives from Sally Beauty this past week. Sally Beauty had their earnings call. They beat on earnings for the period ending December 31st. Now, Sally, as a background, they get revenues from their retail store sales, as well as wholesale sales and through other avenues like their Cosmoprof stores, which market pretty much exclusively to salons. And when you look at Sally Beauty, they saw strength in hair color and hair products, which actually make up 55% of Sally Beauty store sales and over 80% of their wholesale sales. Anyhow, their comps were up 6.1%, suggesting that perhaps at least during the holiday season, some people returned to beauty spend. But here's the key. Looking forward, Sally Beauty said on the call that they anticipate sales gains of 3-4% to 4% for the 2022 fiscal year. Even as their store count is expected to decrease, they expect to trim their store count overall between Sally Beauty and Cosmoprof and their other locations out there by about 1% to 2%. So net positive for Sally. You could make the argument certainly that it's because, in part, beauty sales fell so much during the pandemic that they're still kind of crawling upward. But I think this gain is important to look at for retailers like Ulta or even retail pharmacies. Ulta is scheduled for earnings in early March. So perhaps we'll get an updated 2022 calendar year outlook from them as well. But again, for me, it all comes down to expectations versus reality, something we talk a lot about on the show. Will the expected curtailed spend on beauty actually come to fruition? Or will consumers gravitate back towards beauty spend with a potentially greater amount of discretionary income at their disposal? We know from data from multiple sources that consumers are cautiously optimistic about 2022, even if they've been somewhat guarded, particularly the millennial group, in terms of that spend. And so a lot of things to watch here as far as the beauty segment is concerned 
and we'll be keeping a close eye on that Ulta earnings call that's scheduled to take place. Oh, right around a month from now. Well, coming up on next week's podcast, we'll talk a little bit more about consumer data when we look at a test's second annual U.S. Consumer Trends Report with Jeremy King, the CEO and founder of a test. He joins us to discuss this report, to talk a little bit about what characteristics define the U.S. shopper in 2022. And yes, we're going to also discuss a little bit about that beauty spend. He's also going to get into data regarding social media interactivity with brands and, more importantly, how users of particular social media platforms might behave when it comes to retailers. So I think it's a rather interesting interview coming up next week. We're excited to have him join the show. We also thank Thad Price for joining us this week. We thank you for listening this week, and we'll be happy to be back with you seven days from now. This has been the Retail Focus Podcast. For more, visit our website at retailfocuspodcast.com and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at Retail Podcast.